Now, you last saw this man in his 40s. I give you Guile Smith. For some reason, that reminded me of like, I am Spartacus. Or something like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to fight somebody, uh, some being coming out of the doors. Um, well, it's good to be back. If, if you weren't, if you didn't notice, then I have nothing to tell you, but I've been gone for about a month. <laughs> if you didn't notice, that's a really good sign, actually. Uh, we have such a strong team here, and Anna and John and Roger and our elders, Matt Olson. I've been listening to the sermons those guys gave. It was just like killer, uh, really, really encouraging. Um, and, yeah, I got I got put out to pasture for a few weeks, um, Actually, it was. It seemed like the Lord was kind of indicating I needed to do that, and man, it was really, really good. Um, and also, uh, man, when you're doing less stuff, it starts all your inner uh, brokenness starts to show up, and your weakness and insecurities, and it's it's a wonderful ride <laughs> down to the desperate feet of Jesus. I, I'm to the point now that now that it's the first time speaking, I almost feel like, have I let my beard grow in long fingernails? I'm, I'm wearing clothes, right? I mean, you know, I know how to relate with humans. I hope I've still remembered how to do that. But actually, um, I just want to say thank you. First of all, with my birthday, some of you guys wrote some really, I'm a words of affirmation person. Some of you guys wrote some things that really, really important to me. Um, so thank you. Um, and, uh, but also the Lord's just been inviting me into my weakness more than ever before. Uh, isn't that weird? You think, take a rest a little bit, you come back strong and need to take the world over. And, um, that's pretty much the opposite of what I watch the Lord doing me. In fact, that's what I'm talking about this morning is, um, uh, I, I'm talking about Tom Brady no, I'm not. I mean, just I'm starting with this. My son was doing the video. He was like, this is a weird thing to start with. And so I'm going to start with what I watched on TV while I was on a break, kind of. And I, has anybody watched any of this show, Man in the Arena? Yes. Okay. No. I, I knew that Tim Cameron would because he's the one and only New England Patriots fan in our congregation that at least I know about. And, oh, there's another one. Raise your hands. You guys meet each other after this. this. You guys can become friends and encourage one another because yesterday was pretty rough. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I had some Bengals fans at my house yesterday. So um, so I got really, I, I, I get interested in kind of the lives of these guys, like Tom Brady, whatever you think of him, the guy's insane. He's like 102 years old, still playing in the NFL, and, and still succeeding at it, you know? And so, so he's come up with this documentary series on ESPN Plus called Man in the Arena. And, and I don't know about you, but these are, these are the kind of shows that, like, I, as I'm watching, he's talking about how disciplined the teams were and how focused they were. I, I'm in the middle of watching this feeling like I need to start doing push-ups. You ever feel that way? You know what I mean? You're like, I'm so inspired. And by the end of it, I'm like, 
this year is going to be different, man. I'm, I'm going to make something of my life. Finally, is everybody in the room hearing me on this? You know, this is my wife. We're going like, what is happening to you? And, and I start to think about, you know, it, it, and it's inspiring to hear, you know, a guy that's devoted his entire life to succeeding at football. You know, there's something about that that's really inspiring. But, um, you know, it makes me feel kind of like a loser, <laughs> a little bit like, what have I done with my life? I'm this unfocused dude and, oh man, I got to get this thing together. It, it, anybody relate to this kind of existential crisis watching this? Maybe you get that on Facebook with, with some families who like, another success is happening and the, all the children are saying, yes, mommy, yes, daddy, you know? <laughs> You're like, if I would have done that, see, it's not working out for me because all my, my youngest is 17. It's like, well, I guess it's too late. So this is what we're doing. Um, but here's what's fascinating. Uh, I ended up watching another uh, special about athletes uh, called The State of Play. Has anybody seen this one? Okay, one person. All right, this is great. I can, I can feel novel on this. And here's what's the first episode. Here's what the episode is about. It's about the level of depression that NFL athletes have after retiring. Did you know that 75% of NFL athletes lose their marriage within three years after retiring? And the level of sense of meaninglessness and and just literally just want to disappear from the face of the earth is shocking. There's uh, Tiki Barber is a former NFL guy has literally set up an entire business for helping NFL players cope retire with retiring. Isn't that crazy? That the, in fact, in, in the, in the state of play thing, the, there was a psychologist on there who, who's a specialist in dealing with things related to happiness and a sense of well-being and he mentioned in it where he started his work, he was a counselor at Harvard University. One of his biggest problems was that 80% of college freshmen at Harvard experienced depression. 80% are depressed. 10% of college freshmen at Harvard contemplate suicide. And what he found was this was this group of people who spent all of their high school years, all of their formative years for this chance to finally make it into Harvard. And now they're here and it's not what they thought it would be. Now, uh, another special I watched, I do not recommend this only because there's a few images and I was like, whoa, didn't see that coming. But what do you expect with a rock and roll band? You have to be about 50 years old to appreciate the police. Who here can appreciate the police? Yes. So the police in the 70s and 80s were massive, sold like 75 million records. I, Sam, how many plays is that on Spotify? 75 million records. That's like uber billions. Yeah, uber billions. These guys, Rolling Stone magazine, 1983, said they're the largest band in history, blah, blah, blah. But this whole video is called Surviving the Police. And it's about the guitarist and how... In the height of their success, they hated each other. They were becoming suicidal. 
and he left. He lost his marriage. He was drug addled. <laughs> it was just in in in. Okay, this will bring you back. Do you guys remember the cable channel VH1? They had a whole show called "Where Are They Now?" Right? It's like it's like the classic rock star thing of like young and pretty and geek, really successful and then become suicidal. And 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 so I'm looking at this and thinking. What is wrong with this? Because if you think about that, these are like three of our biggest deals, right? Professional athlete, right? It, it's, it's like, like, why in the world? You know how many people are out on a soccer field on a Saturday in America? I was like, it's gotta be millions and millions on soccer fields. And it's like to, to reach the status is like a thing, man. It, uh, but, but what's really happening is depression. <laughs> Once you reach this level of success, is and it's the same like Harvard, right? Isn't it like the dream? If you can't be an athlete, be the smartest person in the world and go to Harvard. But we find those very people that are reaching that pinnacle are immediately confronted with depression and suicidal thoughts. And then at least, just at least, the humble role of a rock star. I didn't aspire to those other two, but I thought at least I could have been a rock star. It's, it's, it's the craziest deal, right? Our, our cultural narrative, I just realized I put a football in my pocket. For some reason, this was sitting on the front row, nobody knows why, and I was starting with Tom Brady, so I just thought that was unique. Um, I, it wasn't even meant to be a prop, but, but I just shoved it in my pocket. Okay. If these guys, and if you think about this success journey, I, I'm talking about these specific careers, but would it be fair to say that it's kind of our cultural myth, right? It's, it's our, our trajectory of what is the good life? What does it mean to be fully human? What does it mean to have lived a significant life? It's like this trajectory up, right? And, and how do most of the fairy tales end? Happily ever after. You know, if I can just get to that pinnacle, everything will be okay. But if we look at the data of what's actually happening in just three of the things we spend a lot of time and attention and money on, right? Those three things, there's a lot of time, attention, money on, on sports, academics, and, and music, right? That, that the actual data shows this is not working out like the cultural myth says it is. And so the question is, what is wrong with us? And, and I love the, the book of Ecclesiastes. This, this book asks that very same question. So I'm going to read just a, a few selected pieces out of Ecclesiastes that, that the writer of Ecclesiastes, we think might have been Solomon, we're not totally sure, it, 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 he talks about this very question and, 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 and he nails it in such a relevant way that just thousands of years ago, right into this present moment, it's something we can resonate with. So I'm going to read this out loud. Just listen to it. Notice what pops up into you as we, as we read it. And we say, Father, your word brings life. You're the smartest. You know how everything works. And so will you, will you speak to us even now, Holy Spirit? Open our hearts to be able to hear what you're saying. So, Ecclesiastes starts with this wonderful sentence. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. And the teacher's the guy who writes this. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He was at Harvard. 
in his first year. Uh, he says, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are mean, meaningless. A chasing after the wind. I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I said to myself, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what's good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom. That sounds unrealistic, doesn't it? <laughs> sounds like an addict. But anyway, I, I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of, to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasury of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desire. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fools walk in darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether the person will be, that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they'll have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep, day or night, Everyone said, Amen. Then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. 
As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. You feel inspired. Ready to go tackle the world. Do you feel like doing push-ups? Yeah, what, what do we make of this? Because there's somebody, if, I tell you what, the Ecclesiastes meant the most to me when I had the worst jobs. Anybody read Ecclesiastes when you have a job you hate? It's like, yes, meaningless. This is meaningless. But here the writer's saying that even all my successes, I, I got everything I wanted. I got every pleasure I wanted. I hit the height, and I found at that location, it was all meaningless. I can't make sense of it. So Ecclesiastes is 12 chapters long, so I just take a little pieces out as it goes. But here's what, what, what the writer makes of all this at the very end, the last two sentences. He says, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. I just want to focus on this phrase right here. That's in the NIV. Fear God and keep his commands. In other words, he's, he's, he's asking about all these deep questions of why am I even here? Why am I working so hard when all I'm going to do is spend the money to eat that I'm going to have to eat again? And skip? What is this all about? And he comes to this conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. Uh, I love how the message translation, Eugene renders it really well. He says, fear God, do what he tells you, and that's it. Fear God, do what he tells you, and that's it. This is actually, this, this writer saying, this is the meaning of life. Well, what does that mean? So I just want to talk, just look at fear God and do what he tells you, reflect a little bit, and then try to ask ourselves some questions. So what does it mean to fear God? And, and, and a definition I'd like to suggest is, is to, to actually believe and act like God is who he says he is. Actually believe like God is who he says he is. Well, then why do you use the word fear? And it could be misunderstood, the word fear. You've probably heard it of reverence, respect. But even that can be a little bit not quite as broad and glorious as this word is. Fear of the Lord is not like, he's a bully, so you better not get around him. He's kind of touchy. That's not what it means. Fearing the Lord is, is, is what you feel when you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and look down. Has anyone been to the Grand Canyon? You know what I'm feeling? How, how about this? Or been near the edge of Niagara Falls? I remember doing that and I still have this, oh, I think I was too close to the edge. Fear the Lord is this recognition of the size of God and all that He is and can do. That, he, that He's not this just this, this, this mean deity who's uh, from a distance, but He's also not a tottering grandfather who's just happy to give you a, you know, a stick of gum to keep you quiet during church. It's this recognition of the size of God and what He's like. And to fear the Lord is to live as if that were true. 
in, 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 in a lot of ways, in the, in, elsewhere in the scriptures talks about it, when we fear the Lord, when we recognize, whoa, this is so big and so awesome, it's scary. It's, it's like being at the top of the roller coaster, that first hill. You know what I'm saying? You're like, this is going to be fun. Tick, 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 tick. This is going to be fun. Oh, dear God. God, I pray for the engineers who made this thing. I pray for the... I pray, pray for the 17-year-old who put me on this, that he strapped me in right. I realize I'm risking my whole life at this moment. That's fear of the Lord. Oh, God. One author, Eugene Peterson, said it this way. It's also that feeling you get with the fear of the Lord. It's like with you, when you're with a newborn baby. And you're reduced to no words. Because you just realize, I don't know what just happened. What is this? And you're overwhelmed with the mystery of life. And the largeness of what's behind all this. And, and, And the biblical writers would say that to live in the fear of God is to actually live in reality. It's to actually live in reality. There's some great scriptures that say it over and over again, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. And if you're a philosopher, that's an actually what we'd call an epistemological foundation. It's this idea that, did you realize that reasoning about things is only as helpful as what your assumptions are? Because if your assumptions aren't so great, you're going to end up someplace not very real. Right, so my favorite illustration is what it, when I do this, what do you think I'm saying? Right, what if my assumption was this was no? It's gonna, we're gonna have trouble communicating, right? We're gonna end up at different places based on our assumptions. And the Bible says that to fear God, to recognize the size of who He is and the smallness of I am, is the only way to arrive at reliable knowledge. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. I tell you, I've, I've been interested in the last, uh, over the last four weeks, I've been reading a lot of philosophy. I just enjoy philosophy. I know, it's weird. But, but, but in the history of philosophy, what's fascinating is the philosophers who are intent on not believing that there is a deity, I mean, you should see where they land. Like Schopenhauer, he's a guy who was really famous in Germany, and he was convinced that the smartest thing to do was just kill yourself. That's where he landed (laughs) at the end of all his philosophy. Nietzsche, I mean, these other guys, it's crazy stuff, right? To live in reality is to fear God, that he is this being that exists and (gasps) is bigger than I can imagine. Yeah, it's to live in reality. How many of you guys um, realize that you might have a little bit of a God complex? I do. (laughs) How many of you guys have tried to control the outcome of other people's actions? Okay, you have a God complex. This is that simple. If you try to control other people, you have a God complex. To fear God, to recognize who he is, and to live in reality. To do what he tells us. Here's the thing. You can think he's like this bully. You better fear me and do what I tell you because I'm going to beat you up and take your lunch money if you, if, if you don't. 
But if to fear God is to live in reality, then what we realize is to do what He says is to live in reality. It's the concrete way of knowing how to function on a planet that God made. God's my creator and He knows what I'm for. What's, what's guile for? What do we do guile with? You know, do we clean floors with Him? What do we do? It helps when you have something to know what it's for, right? And if we fear God, then we have the joy of doing what He tells us because He's the only one who really knows how to work through us. Does that make sense to you guys? Another way to say it is, I can trust God. If I fear God, all I have to do is obey Him. I can trust Him to show me how to live. So the effect of this, this is a huge deal. The effect of this is, what I'm hoping to take you from is this, this, this really true existential question of what do I mean? What's, how, how, is life meaningless? But if we fear God and do what He says, here's the, here's the effect. The first one is humility. If we fear God, we're going to start getting a little humble because we realize, I am not God. I mean, it is a fundamental thing for us to come to to believe that we're not God. How much in our lives do we try to control? <laughs> right? I mean, like, it's kind of funny. It's like, it's like getting to upset about the weather. Did the weather ask your opinion? Is the weather like, I said I was going to do this, but I did another thing. What do you care? We're not in control of this. We get a lot of humility when we realize that God is who He says He is. But here's the thing. We also get a lot of relief. I get a lot of relief because I don't have to be God anymore. Being God is an exhausting gig. Have you ever noticed at times when maybe you've been at more your weakest in your life? Maybe it was through an illness. Maybe something happened that was outside of your control. Maybe you didn't get the promotion you wanted. Have you ever noticed that it's way easier to experience the love of God? It's way easier to experience the goodness of His mercy and His kindness to us. I think it's because we're actually getting situated in reality that we're not God in making things happen around the world. It is a relief to not have to be God. Do what he tells you. The effect is I don't have to make something of myself. This is a huge deal. I think there are kingdoms that have risen and fallen, marriages that have disintegrated, companies that have been disbanded, churches that have fallen apart because of lack of understanding this sentence. And I'll tell you this, everything I learned growing up was the opposite of that. Right when I when I went through high school, it was all about building a resume. Show lots of extracurricular activities, your GPA. Yeah, it doesn't matter, but apparently the scholarship people think it matters, and that's a lot of money. You know, uh, just make something. You, you know, set your goals, set your goals, and go after them. 
And, and this is a great time to talk it because it, it's completely random that we think at a calendar date we're all of a sudden going to do this. Think about how random that is. It's actually probably the worst time of the year to do it, in fact. It's the most depressing time of the year where you can't get outside. You know, it's like, I'm going to get in shape in my living room. You know, I mean, it's, it's silly. But, but it's this, i got to make something of myself. Guys, people have left their spouses to go make something of themselves because they had the metric. To, I, I've seen it happen. Friends of mine have done this. I've seen myself choose either to quietly spend time with my children or go read something important. I've read something important because I needed to make something of myself. I've done this. I've lived this lie. But as the Lord in his mercy has allowed me to experience my limitations, or if you will, experience reality, I've realized, oh, apparently... To fear, all I have to do is fear God and do what He tells me. I can just listen, trust, and obey. I don't have to make something of myself because the one who created me knows what I'm for. He knows what's going to fit me the best. He knows the pace at which. He knows the life I'm actually desiring, even though a culture is screaming something else. He knows that at times I will take the cultural narrative and baptize it in Christianity and become a quarterback for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I'm Tom Brady for Jesus. I'm the best preacher. And everybody's going to, and I, and I realize what I've done. I've tried to make something of myself just in case God doesn't come through for me. I hope they really like my sermon. I hope I visit enough people. I hope keep it, I mean, that, this is the world I live in. You probably have a different way of saying it. But I've realized because I don't trust God, I've tried to make something of myself. And it's exhausting. You might say, well, you just do nothing. No, you do what he tells you. He has a whole thing going on, on how to live. And so it's like, like I, 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 I could say, Lord, was my sermon good? And he's probably just going to say, are you loving people? Because that's where we started. I, I told you that part. Remember that? You just start the things that were clear <laughs> when I told you. It kind of doesn't matter where you are. <laughs> He'll get, I've found God will get me where he wants me to be whenever he wants me to be there. The, the best illustration I can think of, I was in a musician, this absurd group of four drummers and a DJ, and Bob Job, which even makes it even crazier, if you know Bob, who Bob has no rhythm, he's the coolest guy ever, and we're all drummers, you know, and so he just recite poetry and scream things. There's not a lot of future in music for that kind of thing. Very, very narrow audience. <laughs> but in one day, so we played here in churches, and, did that, and in one day he talks to the right guy, and we end up playing the Cotton Bowl in, 30, in front of 30,000 people with Lou Engle. Yeah. <laughs> you knew that? We were at the last of the call. Down in Dallas, Texas, in the Cotton Bowl, and we're like, and of course, in my head, it's like, we finally arrived. We finally arrived. Because you know what I was doing for a living then? I was a media buyer and mostly doing customer service with angry people. And guess what happened after we did that awesome thing? I went back to my cubicle <laughs> on Monday and did that for years. 
why? I, I was crazy enough to continue to say, I don't get it. My life's not going like I thought it would. But Jesus, I just want to trust you. I want to be near to you. And man, Jesus loves me so much, he's not afraid to disappoint me. He's not afraid to say, Guile, rock star's not in your future. But I'd say, okay, Lord, I'll humble myself to that because if I'm humble enough, maybe I will be a rock star. (laughs) The Lord realizes I've given up my dream. Here it comes again. Maybe I'm thinking about this that it turned 50 and it's time to get the band back together. The police did that. They're out there doing a redoing your tour. They're like trying to dance. I watched Andy Summer, the guitarist, and they did the jump like this. He went, <laughs> he's like 58. Well, I appreciate your try there, bro. He's like walking off the stage, you know. But what if it's true? Is that the most fruitful, sane, productive life that matters not just now, but beyond this thing is simply in fearing God and doing what He says. Whether anybody recognizes I'm succeeding or not. I remember when I was a kid in college with the resident advisor program, one of the tests of motives was, how would you feel? If all of your friends are promoted and you never move, will you obey the Lord in that space? And you're like, oh yeah, because God will eventually promote me huge. He may not. He might never promote us. But what we get is the life he dreamed. What we get is a life that bears fruit for ages. There are going to be women who did nothing but push a mop their whole life close to the center of God's kingdom because they've been praying and obeying week after week, month after month. God is not hoping we can all achieve our dreams. He already has one. His name is Jesus. It's the kingdom of God coming on this earth through His church. And it's in the future coming with Jesus' return. He has a dream. And it so exceeds our highest thoughts. It's so big that it's scary. It causes us to fear the Lord. It causes us to not reduce God to our buddy who's going to help us get what we want. But instead we say, God, I don't deserve to be here. But through Jesus, can, I, can you make something of me? And that was so beautiful. It applies to the smartest people and the most withered addict. The same level of meaning. The same level of significance. Everyone is equal to foot of the cross of Jesus. The question is, how do we live this out? How do we fear the Lord? One of the first things is just step outside. We get so deceived with our little buttons and things, we think we're in control. Which if you do it long enough, you realize you're not even in control of your buttons. Like, he's cursing this thing. Right? It said it would work. This was the one app to solve it for me. 
But if you just step outside, try doing this. Try going to your front lawn and speaking to the grass and say, grow. Grow now. And you'll realize you're probably not the creator of the grass. I mean, I spend money on my grass and it still doesn't grow. The best way that we can fear God, because fear, fear God is, is, is not just a, a, a deal of, of, wow, you're big. It's, it's a way of living in relationship to that big one. And, and Paul talks about it here in Ephesians 2. I'm going to read this. I was going to do just one verse, but I realized the whole thing's important. Paul sums, sums up human experience, if you will, on the back end of Ecclesiastes. He says, as for you, reader, all of us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Those are Ecclesiastes, like the rest we are by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. See, the joy is this. The, the joy is this, is every one of us has born with a God complex. It's our sin. It, we're, we're living under the ways of this world. And it's hard to kind of get them out because they're around us all the time, right? That says, if you could just make something of yourself, if you could just take control of your life, if you could just have enough goals and enough discipline, you'd be amazing. But all of us are on that failure hamster wheel, right? <laughs> hamster wheel of joy and failure. But God in His mercy is willing to situate us in the right relationship with Him. Where we fear Him, recognizing I cannot rescue my own life here. I can't set my life straight. I can't make myself fully human. But through God's activity, His mercy coming after me, He can pull me into the right relatedness, into the right place in the space of all creation because He loves me. It's, 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 it's that simple and that excruciatingly costly. Because we always say, you know, the gift of salvation is free. Yes, it is, except for it costs everything that you have. You have to give up the old ways of thinking. You have to give up the worldly way of thinking about what it means to be human, what it means to be alive, what it means to succeed. You have to give it all up. And in exchange, he rightly relates this to us. 
When we do, he tells, tells us, oop, how do we do that? Jesus, it's really great. God is really, really smart. God wrote stuff down, right, in, in, in uh, you know, the Pentateuch, the first five books. Uh, you know, here's how to live on earth and not screw it up. And we screwed it up. And then, so he says, okay, let's paint by numbers. I'm going to actually become one of you and show you how to live in the fear of the Lord and obeying his commandments. It looks like Jesus. Jesus is the picture of what it looks like to be fully human in right relationship with God. So just an easy place to start is just looking at Jesus' example. How did he live? How does he do stuff? That's your road to significance. I should say road from your significance. Because Ephesians 2.10 is, is how we do the fear of the Lord stuff, how we walk out of his commandments. So the last sentence I gave is, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works. I didn't, I didn't earn this. I didn't make this happen. So no one can boast. But look at this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you know, you, you, you won't really be able to do anything of significance, lasting significance on the earth unless you've received the right relationship with God so that out of being created in Jesus, you can start to work out what he has called you to do. What he has specifically assigned you to do. And I can tell, I can tell you already about 50 things already God's assigned you to do. Like he wants you to spend time with him. These are all things he's already said in the scriptures, right? He wants you to love others. He, you know, it, 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 it's, it's pretty simple. And, and the fun part is you can do that wherever you are. In fact, here's what, my, what I've noticed, especially in the jobs I've hated. I've told you guys, phone sales. Are there any phone sales telemarketing people here? Because I'm going to come kiss you or something. Okay, yeah, it's not what it used to be because now they're like, hello. This is John, and all of your money has been stolen, right? <laughs> Don't believe anything that's automated, everybody. Just a little clue. Worst job ever. Worst job ever. And one of the hardest things, I, yeah, Chris. Chris and I did it together. Come on, baby. Um, it's character forming, wasn't it? <laughs> I can be in the center of God's purposes for me as a telemarketer. Because wherever I'm at is exactly where he asked me to start loving, start obeying him, start doing his commandments. And if he needs me somewhere else, he'll get me there. Look, I'm here. I'm not doing it now. Although what's crazy is most of what I learned in telemarketing is exactly the skills and character I had to have for this job. (laughs) It's the craziest thing. He's so smart and he loves me so deeply, but he cares way more about making me like Jesus, making me what it looks like in his mind of the best guile. So it's been ego killing. I've never bragged to people about my telemarketing stuff. I remember once I was working at a place with, I had a master's degree and I was filing papers for an insurance company. That was my job. Boss, just got her GED. I had a master's, okay? And I'm doing this, da 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 I meet the president of the company. Turns out my wife teaches his kids. And, I, and he, he said, wait, your wife's Miss Kelly? I said, yeah. He goes, well, you married up. 
Jesus knew I needed that with a master's of divinity degree on my back. Jesus knew he loves me. He knew I needed that. Okay, so here's some questions. Fear God and do what he tells you. If you don't remember anything, just do that. The answer to life, fear God and do what he tells you. Here's some questions we can ask. I'm just going to blow through these because <clears throat> uh, it's one of the longer than I thought it would. But um, who do I think God is? So th- these are just things for you to reflect on. And just where something hits you, go with that. And just you and God stay there. Uh, does does the, my vision of God take my breath away or bore me? Because if it doesn't take my breath away, I probably don't know what I'm looking at. It might not be God. Probably isn't. And so that's great for people who are outside the faith. They're like, man, some of, you, some of Christians, their view of God is like, yeah, you're probably right. We're not thinking about that God who exists. Thinking about, you know, somebody or something like that. Here's another one. How do I relate to God? Am I a functional atheist? You know what I mean by that? It's like I'm not in my profession an atheist. I don't say I'm an atheist. But the way I live, I might as well be. Because I'm working hard to make something in my life. I'm working hard for my success. Or am I relating to him as a deeply dependent child? Did you know it's kind of embarrassing to be more and more dependent on God? That's the way I felt coming back to church. I realized I was just like, I felt like in many ways the Lord was reducing me to so much. I'm like, I don't know if I know how to relate in a cool way anymore to people, you know? And I just realized I don't think he's interested. In fact, some of the best stories, there's a uh, novel by Dostoevsky called The Idiot. And The Idiot's the main character. It's Prince Mishkin. And, and Everyone doesn't understand this guy because he's so innocent, they all think he's an idiot. But it turns out by the end of the book, he's the only person that knows what's going on because he continues to forgive people and accept other people and hold to his convictions, and, and even though it makes him look stupid a lot of the times. And that's, I think, what the Christian life is, is signing up to be the idiot. At least in the culture, Right? Our culture wants to be powerful and in charge and get things done. I'm fearing God and obeying His commands. Who's responsible for the outcome of my life? That's a good question. Is it me? Is it God? And who bears more responsibility? That's a tough question, isn't it? What do you notice emotionally for yourself on who bears more responsibility for your life? I'd say the, the answer is fear God and do what he commands. Because that's what you do. But what if he doesn't, what if I need to, what if, maybe I need this relationship. Maybe I should get this extra degree. Maybe I should. Do I believe God wants good for me? This is the, the deepest question. Because if I don't believe God wants good for me, I'm not going to really want to obey him. I'll do it because I have to, because he may punish me. But if I believe he actually wants good for me, why wouldn't I do what he asks? I don't know. I don't understand it, but some good is at the end of this thing. Does he care about me more than I do? Does he know better than I do where I best fit in the world? Let me tell you this. I never grew up with dreams of being a pastor. 
In fact, the pastor I grew up with, all I remember, he was a bad driver and wore these weird boots that would zip up. And I thought, what a weird guy. I'd never, li- never want to be like that guy. That was my formative vision of pastor. I really did want to be a rock star. <laughs> and man, God's frustrated me time and time again. As I've, he's reduced me to weakness. We're like, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. But why won't you let me? Just come this way. And what's so crazy is I'm watching myself. I'm like, wow, I am absurdly well fit for this at this moment in history, at this time. And I, I'm kind of ticked at the Lord for that. Like, uh, I still don't like it. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the, that's the stupidity. That's my God complex speaking. Oh, he's been so good to me. He's been so good to me. There's a psalm that says, the lions have fallen to me for me in pleasant places, Psalm 16. I mean, the inheritance, what God has built in my life, has been beautiful. Never expected it. Uh, Eugene Peterson said he was intentionally haphazard. <laughs> That's how God raised him up. All right, let's stand together. Oh, is he more capable than me to get in there? That's a good question, too. Yeah, let's stand together with those questions in front of us. I'm just going to pray for you, and you can, you can work through this stuff on your own. Father, I want to say thank you that you've been faithful to continue to pursue me, to continue to put me back in the center of fearing you and obeying your commands, that, that, that you've continued to bring me back to I can't create something in my life if I just get close to you, be close to you, and do what you say, I will be precisely where you want me to be. And Lord, I thank you that each and every spot people are in right now is exactly the material you want to use to do something of great significance through simply fearing you and doing what you say. So Lord, where we're getting messed with, please don't leave us alone. Let there be a little rock in our shoe, Lord that we wouldn't just run on with our usual way of doing stuff, with our God complexes, with trying to control our own lives, and step into the beautiful, beautiful life of fearing you and doing what you say, knowing that something gorgeous is on the other side of it. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if anybody would like prayer, uh, Matt and Molly Olson are going to be right here. Um, and any other, Tim, any elders who'd like to get some prayer? Otherwise, have a wonderful week. Love you.